the book of Proverbs and learning about different characters. We are going to start with a character here uh, and to build character, actually. And also we're going to start with this character here, and that is the virtuous woman. And we are going to talk about her uh, today. We, you know, we talked about the sluggard, and we, we talked about the slothful man, the sluggard. We've talked about, uh, you know, the evil man. We've talked about a few of the other characters that are there about uh, choosing friends wisely and instructing young ch uh, children and as they grow up how to, how to choose right friends. Well, now we're going to talk about the virtuous woman. And what I titled this was, Who Can Find a Virtuous Woman? The Priceless Wife. And uh, we, we're going to go through the scriptures. We'll see how far we get today with this here. But uh, it's, it's important that, that we understand this concept. And I'm going to teach you some things about what the Bible says. And we'll have some introductory things here, but then we'll get, get right to it here in there. Uh, let's look at Proverbs chapter 31. And, and we're only going to cover verse 10 uh, because the Bible goes on to explain her all the way through to verse 31. A lot of explanation on this, this woman, but, you know, the Bible frequently warns us of the dangers of these women, uh, of the strange woman, of the foolish woman, etc. But God also shows us what a virtuous woman is and how a woman can be a virtuous woman and, and what God wants her to be, a, and especially a virtuous wife. He, he shows us that in the scriptures because God just doesn't tell you about what's bad. He tells you about what's good. He explains to you what's right. God doesn't leave an incomplete teaching. He shows you what a foolish woman is or a foolish man is. He shows you what a, what a uh, strange woman is or a strange man is or the evil man. But then he also shows you what a good man is and what a good woman is and, what, and what a, in this sense what a virtuous woman is. He shows you that. And we're to train our young people on what a virtuous woman is. And I'll get to, to how we go about that from the scriptures here. Proverbs 31 and verse number 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Father in heaven, Lord, please bless us now as we look at this text. Very convicting, uh, very instructive and revealing, Lord. And help us to understand it and grow thereby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In, the, in this day and age we live, this question is a very timely one, isn't it? Who can find a virtuous woman? The Word of God, though, is always relevant, isn't it? We know that there are men all over the world that ask this very same question. There's men you know, they, they're, that are actually looking for a virtuous wife, a virtuous woman to marry. The young man that wishes to be married, he asks this question, and hopefully to the Lord and to his godly parents, and to his pastor, and everyone else that's around to, to understand those things, to look for that woman, that lady that God would have him to have. Who can find a virtuous woman is the question that is asked here. But the Bible here, you know, it instructs us. We've been through these verses on the evil and the strange woman, the foolish woman that plucketh the house down with her hands. We haven't quite talked about her, but we will at some point. But, you know, you have that in Proverbs chapter 2 and Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 6 and, and chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 14 is giving instructions on the evil woman, on the strange woman. Remember, we covered the strange woman, which is the complete opposite of the virtuous woman. The strange woman, we covered her, and she's the woman that you don't want to get mixed up with. She's the one that you don't want to be as a lady. She's the one that you don't want to marry. 
If you see these traits in a woman like that and they're strongly in that woman, you stay away from her. You don't, you don't have any dealings with her and uh, you're warned about her. So it is a, one man said it this way, it's a wonderful token of grace that this description of the virtuous woman was written as many assume by Bathsheba. She writes that the husband of the virtuous woman can safely trust in her. Yet she betrayed the trust of her first husband by responding to David's sinful invitation. Of course, she might have put herself and her husband in jeopardy by refusing David's lust, but she would have kept God's law and maintained her honor. Yet the beautiful and miraculous thing is that God forgave her sin. That's an example, isn't it? That God forgave her sin and she became a, a virtuous woman. See, that's, that's just it. What makes a, a woman virtuous is God. It's the Holy Spirit that makes a woman virtuous. It is, it is re regeneration that makes a woman virtuous and puts her on the road to being that, that woman of virtue that she ought to be. And we'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes here. So Bathsheba, what she does is she exhorts her son to find a virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous woman? This and the following verses are an acrostic, say some, in, in the Hebrew, which we don't really be concerned with too much, but as when the Hebrews, when they're writing that, it is evidence that they started with Alif and Beth, and they went through all these letters, and they finished up with the alphabet, and that was a, an acrostic that was taught to them after that fashion, to the, to the Hebrews. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure, because I don't read Hebrew, so, <laughs> so I can tell you what it says in English, and I can tell you very plainly what it says there, but that's what the, but that's what the, but it was fit for their time, wasn't it? I believe that. I don't believe there's anything wrong with any of that. I believe God did it perfectly there, just like he delivered it perfectly to me Amen. right here. Amen. So praise God for that. Amen. From this to the end of the chapter, we have the character of a woman of genuine worth laid down. First, in general, it is given in verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Secondly, in particular, uh, then in verse 13 to 29, and thirdly, the summing up of the character we find at the end of the, the book there, in uh, Proverbs 31, give her the, of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. We're going to talk about this. this. This description of a good house mother, said one, attests the honorable position of women in Israel. It would have been impossible in eastern countries where she regarded only as a plaything and a better sort of slave. The picture is about equally far removed from old world and from modern ideas of her place. The virtuous woman is neither a doll, nor a graduate, nor a public character. She's not a public character. Her, her works were known, and her works are her husband and her, and, her, and her children in the gates. She's behind the scenes in that sense. Her kingdom, listen to this, the virtuous woman is neither a doll, nor a graduate, nor a public character. She's not like some wallflower or some doll that can't do anything, this inanimate object that is meant to just look at. That's not what a godly, virtuous wife is. Her kingdom is the home. Her works praise her in the gates, but it is her husband and not she that sits there among the elders. 
You have to do away with this notion as a lady that, that you need to be seen of men. No. You will be, but it's through your works. It isn't through your presence. They don't look, they're not to, you're not to be the object of what they look for or look at. It's your husband and your children that will go on to praise you in the gates. It, it'll be those, those that, that's, that's God's design. And you can't put a price on that. Why do you think I called this the priceless wife? Because you can't, God even said it. It's far above rubies in an earthly sense. There, I mean, what are rubies worth? Beautiful rubies, a lot. Anybody have any here? Probably not. I don't have any. Right, exactly. Exactly, right? God says her price is far above that. I believe it. I've been married for 21 years. I believe it more every year I'm married. I absolutely believe it every... And, and by the way, I, I admire it more the longer I've been married. I'm amazed by it the more the longer I've been married. And I absolutely... And not just about my wife, but about other godly women that serve the Lord and are faithful to their husbands and suffer long through things and, and, and mature and grow. I'm amazed by it. it. It absolutely does amaze me when I watch it. And I have a lot of respect for it. People say a lot because of the way I preach, because I preach so hard on the role of the sexes and everything else, I'm trying to defend and lift it up. Because <laughs> I don't want you to turn your wife into some female dude and disrespect her and treat her like something else and not be amazed by what God has given you. Because truly, it is a miracle when you see it. It absolutely is. Like, we couldn't do half of what we do, literally, without, without them. God made it that way. And you, need to, you and I need to respect that. It's called respect. Amen. There's no, he goes, on to, he goes on to say, her kingdom is the home, her works praise her in the gates, but it is her husband and not she that sits there among the elders. There is no sentiment or light or wedded love in this picture. It is neither the ideal woman nor wife that is painted, but the ideal head of a household on whose management as much as on her husband's work, its well-being depends. Like, do you understand? Like, he's not, what, he, what he's saying is, what he's describing, that, by the way, those quotes were by Alexander McLaren on a, on a, a sermon that he wrote, a Baptist man, uh, he wrote a sermon on, uh, expository sermon on this, Proverbs 31, verse number 10. Go read it, it's excellent. But um, anyway, he, he fits it perfectly. He nails it perfectly as far as what God, God's design is here and what he's teaching you. He's teaching you that, that, being being the the wife of your husband is not you're not like just some kept doll in a house somewhere like a child my okay when I was growing up my my aunt uh, Doris she had this she had a really nice house and she had this um, glass cabinet and inside this glass cabinet she had these china dolls that were in there that nobody touched right and they're, they were, the, you just looked at them. They were just for, for looking at and admiring that they are there. Well, you're not a China doll that's set up in a, in a cabinet somewhere that you're just merely meant to be looked at. Right. Amen. Right. That's just, and I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in a very respectful way. That God has equipped you and giving you what you need to manage the affairs that he has given you the duty to manage the authority to manage you're well equipped for that 
God does that. Amen? He did that. So, um, what we find here is, and by the way, it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. You may have been, you may have been the worst whore ever. I know I was. I was a man, but I was the worst whore ever. I mean, I, I, I'm not. Like, you didn't do anything I've never done. You, you, didn't live, you didn't live any worse than I ever lived. God saved me. God changed me. God pulled me out of the muck and mire and changed my life and made me a new creature. I was rotten as hell. Would still be if it wasn't for the grace of Almighty God. Right? How many of us could say that? Such as were some of you, right? That's what the Bible talks about. That's what we were. I ain't gonna lie to you. That's what I was. Sex pervert and everything else. So if you did any of those things, you ain't no different than me. God saves men and delivers them. God saves women and delivers them, makes them new creatures. Makes them virtuous. Amen. While we rejoice in the progress of civilization, said one, we cannot but regret the loss of primitive simplicity. In former days, women of the highest rank did not disdain to employ themselves in the most common offices of life. What's he talking about? The home. Like now it's looked on as disdain and we're looked like on as like, well, we've really progressed. No, you've degressed. You, you've depressed. You, you're not better. You're worse. That's not progress. You got duped. Right. You got fooled. You got hornswoggled. Man, you got ripped off and taught that it was your job to be equal to a man and to identify as a man. You got ripped off. They, you got, if you want to talk about stolen identity or how about stolen valor, Paul, if you want to talk about that, that's what happened with women. They stole their identity. They took it from them. And they not only, well, actually they talked you into giving it up. That's right. That's, that's even worse crime. They talked you into giving it up. So you just walked away from it. And Satan knows that if he does that, then the home crumbles. And that's what's happened. <laughs> that's what happened everywhere. The homes crumbled. King Lemuel, supposed by some to be Solomon himself, was exhorted by his inspired mother to select for his wife a woman who was not ashamed to occupy herself in domestic duties. The description here given of a queen is, alas, but ill-suited to the refinement of the present age. This was written 200 years ago, by the way. <laughs> it is rather calculated for the lower classes of community. That's the lower classes. So when they look at you and you walk into the grocery store with your children and they look at you and they're like, you're just, you know, the common folk. And they, they have careers and they look down. And they, you know, they're, they're, there's women that are making, like they said, I don't remember what it was. We were out preaching somewhere and this lady, like, I, I bet I make more money than you do. Probably do. <laughs> you probably do. What's that matter? But think about it. That's what they, that's what they think. That, that, that's what's impressive to them. They don't realize that like it's a shame for you to have that focus. Right? They don't realize that. The lengthy description of the virtuous woman teaches us the immense importance of the godly wife. She is mentioned in many passages of the New Testament as well. Ephesians 5, 22 through, 20, through 33 talks about her. Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. 
the description of her in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 through 15. Chapter 3, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse number 3 to 5. I'm not going to go to those verses because you understand. But by the way, when you see the description of the virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31, and then you go to Titus chapter 2, and you see that the word of God be keepers at home, that the word of, uh, obedient to their own husbands, keepers at home, that the word of God be not what? Blasphemed. Why is it saying that? Because the idea of the virtuous woman is laid out in Proverbs chapter 31. And then it's, there's no contradiction in those two texts. None whatsoever. The only contradiction's in your brain. When somebody wants an excuse and they want to make the Bible say something, they'll make it say something. They'll, the Bible, Paul said that. He warned that we are not of those that, that, that uh, use the word of God deceitfully. Meaning that there are men that take the word of God and they use it deceitfully. See, you can learn something from negative statements that are made. Right? You have to read the negative statements in the scripture, then you have to understand what he's saying. He's saying, we're not of those that use the word of God deceitfully. What is he saying then? There are men out there that use the word of God deceitfully. We are not those men. You see what I mean? You have to, you have to, be able, you have to look at those and read those things. That's why that King James Bible is perfect. Amen? It has your number. That's why people don't like it. <laughs> right? God has it all. Okay, and then with good reason, says one, is so much stress laid upon the virtuous wife, since it contributes as much as any one thing to the keeping up of religion and families and the entail of it upon posterity, that the mothers be wise and good, and of what consequence it is to the wealth and outward prosperity of a house, everyone is sensible. He that will thrive must ask his wife leave. In choosing a wife, fools will follow their fancy, and the wise will act according to reason and the word of God. He said, if you, if you want to choose a godly wife, and choosing a wife, they'll, uh, fools follow their own fancy, what they think is great. But the wise will act according to reason and the word of God. They won't choose just something that's shiny that impresses them by the way it looks. But they'll choose wisely. Amen. So number one. We have the question that is proposed to us. Who can find a virtuous woman? Good question. What does that mean exactly? It means morally good, that virtue. Virtue means morally good, acting in conformity to the moral law, practicing the moral duties, and abstaining from vice as a virtuous man. Being in conformity to the moral or divine law as a virtuous action. The mere performance of virtuous actions does not denominate an agent of virtue. It means chaste as it's applied to women. Having great or powerful properties as a virtuous uh, steel or staff or something, it has power. There's power that is in, included in that statement. And I'll show you this from the scriptures here. I'm not going to just tell you it. I'm going to show you. But it is a good question to ask, isn't it? Who can find a virtuous woman? And indeed, who can? It is a rare commodity in any time in dispensation, isn't it? I will tell you that by nature of the word itself, virtue, we know that true virtue can only come from one place, and that is from the Lord. Amen. The answer is the virtuous woman must be born, and that is born again by the Spirit of God. One heathen philosopher said this, if women be good, the half of the commonwealth may be happy where they are. That's why in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, and even their women... 
Again, you can learn something from the negative. What is he saying? Look, look at what he's saying right there. Even their women did leave the natural use. Most marriages may be able to be fixed that have such problems if finding out if the wife or husband, for that matter, is even saved. You cannot obey the scriptures and be the virtuous woman. If you are lost, it will never work. You must be born again. It is the spirit that changes men and makes them new creatures in Christ. So the first notable thing, we can, who, who can find a virtuous woman? No man on his own can find one. They are found by the Lord, and they are made virtuous by Christ. Turn to Mark chapter 5. I want you to see what the scripture says. The Bible commands all men everywhere to repent, right? Repent and believe the gospel. It's the instruction to any woman, man, or child, for that matter, because true virtue and moral purity come from Christ alone. Mark chapter 5, verse number 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Luke 6, 19 says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Christ, that virtue, or that virtue, excuse me, is moral power. It's, it's power. It's backed up. It's purity backed up with power. Do you understand that? So Jesus, when, he, when they touched him, it's the power of God that touched them. Just like salvation. It's not some charismatic garbage that, that you see that they try to produce. No, it is the power of salvation. It is the gospel that saves and it comes from the power of God. Amen. And when you are saved by grace, you get busted with the power of God. Amen. You're not waiting around for a second blessing of it. You're not waiting around for some guy to tap you on the forehead. Yep. You have it by the Spirit of God coming inside of you and saving you and giving you life. And with that life, you're to add to that, you're to cultivate that, because Peter says to add to your faith virtue, that moral purity. Well, you can't add it if God didn't put it in you, right. if he didn't give you the ability to. See, lost people can't add anything to their faith because they don't have any faith. It starts with faith, right? And then God says to add to that virtue. That means that you work out what he worked in. That's what it means. Because it is God that is the supplier of virtue, as you can see with Christ, that he walked around and he, it, virtue went out of him. Why? Because it's power, it's purity backed up with power. It is literally the power of God that left him to heal those people. Why? Well, what sickened them? Sin. I don't mean that they were in sin because they did something wrong. I'm not saying that. They weren't sick because they sinned, but sickness comes because of sin. Death comes because of sin. So when Christ, who is, who had, who is a vastness of moral purity and power, that virtue just comes out of him. He doesn't have any sin. He didn't have any sickness. Right? He didn't have any fallen nature. So what came out of him was power. Purity backed with power. And it just shot out of him. Amen. Everywhere he went. It was like you see when we talk about uh, Christ when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's transfigured before them and that the light shone and they saw that or when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he saw that light, that is the power of God. That's the purity of God. And that's what God does when he saves you. 
he blasts you with that. Now you've got to grow in grace and learn and you're going to get rid of a lot of things while you, over your course of your life. There's going to be things that displease God. There are things right now that you accept in your life that God is not happy with and he's going to blast it out of your life. Amen! He's going to, and he's going to use you to do it. He's going to use the preaching of God's Word. He's going to use the, the, the reading of God's Word. He's going to use your prayer life. And then He's going to say, now you're going to put to practice because God's going to reveal it to you. And He's going to say, now you work on these things. Now I hope that happens all the time. I hope there's little things that God shows you through preaching and through everything, through your daily walk. That You know what? God's not pleased with this. i got to quit doing that. Now you don't have to go, you're not going to tell me what you're doing. This ain't confession. Right. I'm not a Roman Catholic priest. Amen. You have a high priest. Go to him and talk to him. Luke chapter 8, verse number 5. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee. And sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. They're like, What are you talking about? He's like, Somebody touched me. What they touch him with? Faith. They believed him. Why? Because he led them. It's God that does that. It's God's work that does that. It's the Holy Ghost that... That woman, what, what led her to go reach out and touch him? She found out. It was Jesus. And if I just touch him, right? If I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. That's, what, that, that's as easy as salvation is, by the way. If you just reach out and call upon the name of the Lord, repenting, believe the gospel, he'll save your soul. It's that simple. It's not any more complex than that. No, it has to be harder than that. Why? Why does it have to be? The hard stuff was done on Calvary. Jesus took your hell. Amen. You, that, that's as simple as it gets right there. That's the gospel. If I can reach, but reach out and touch him. I will be healed. Amen. That's the gospel. Very simple. You may as a lost man or woman follow the laws of society and have some moral chastity, but except you repent to be born again, you can never be that virtuous woman because they are born again. Next, I would say, so the first question, the first answer to that question would be this, would be that you must be born again. If you would find a virtuous wife, if you would have a virtuous wife, if you would be a virtuous wife, you must be born again. You've got to be saved. Why? Because then you can add to your faith virtue and you can grow and be the person that God wants you to be. To be the lady that God wants you to be. To grow into that. Amen? And that takes work, by the way. It does take work. Once you're saved, the salvation doesn't take work. Jesus paid it all. He did all the work for you. But living this Christian life will take work to grow in, in maturity and virtue. Well, and it's painful. Some of you have this impression that once you got saved that, you know, that's the hard part. Now, now I don't have to really work on it and I'm not going to have any bad days. No, you're going to have a million bad days until you go home. You're going to have a lot of bad ones. Right? You're going to have a ton of bad days because God's going to show you how rotten you actually are the longer you're saved. How rotten your flesh is how evil it is, how, how, uh, how it lusts after wicked things, how it wants the preeminence in all things. And your Christian life is about you learning to give Christ the preeminence in all things. 
It's denying your flesh. Well, I don't want to do this. Well, when I approach something as, as a Christian, I really don't, I mean, I can do it, but I really don't get to do that. Be like, well, I don't really want to do this. Well, what's that got to do with anything? It's like you're a soldier in the army, right? You're a soldier in the Lord's army, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't feel like doing this. Well, what's, what's feel like got to do with anything? So? So you don't feel like it. Like, what does that mean? What, how relevant is that to your obedience? <laughs> it's not, is it? I, you're to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you feel like doing it. You just do it. Why? Because it's right. And Christians do things because it's right, not because it feels good. Amen. I'm going to say that to you again. Christians do things because it's right, not because it feels good. Your obedience should not hinge on how you feel that day. <coughs> Amen. It does at times, and we have to repent of it, don't we? But it shouldn't. It never should make a difference. Well, I don't, I don't really feel like doing that. Tough. Tough. Do it anyway. Right? Do it anyway. Why? Because that's obedience. Anyway, that one was free. It wasn't even part of this, but I'm handing out free samples today. <laughs> Next, I would say, though, that after they are born again, the answer to this question is virtuous women are trained. They're raised to be what they are. If you would find a virtuous woman, you must train a virtuous woman to be so. Mothers have a duty to train their daughters to be virtuous. Daughters, they are trained to be so. No woman is self-made and no woman is born into this world being this virtuous woman. You are given this outline of a virtuous woman and being very descriptive in order for you to raise virtuous daughters. You have a duty, and that's to raise your, your daughters and your sons to be virtuous. But uh, both of them, morally pure, both of them free from uh, sexual sins and wickedness and, and, and those things that, that, that come upon in the temptations. The Bible says, flee youthful lusts, which war against the soul. So we teach them, right? Second uh, Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, let's turn there. We'll look at these verses here on the virtuous woman, or, or virtue, excuse me, on faith. But it goes along with what we're talking about. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So let's stop there. There's a comma there. But let's stop there for a second. That, to me, is very exciting. I don't know if it is to you, but it is to me. I'm going to read that to you again. I want you to think about this. He's talking about us that are, that are born again. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's God's promise. He's given it to you. That means you can be the virtuous woman. You can be the virtuous wife. You can be a virtuous young man. Why? Because God said he gave it to you. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. You, don't you get it? When he saved you, he called you unto virtue. He didn't call you unto wickedness. He called you unto, you were already in that. He called you unto virtue. That should excite you. That should, that should encourage you. That, that by faith, we believe God. That you know what? You might go through some struggles and you might have a terrible past, but God doesn't really care about that. Because he called you unto virtue. 
You're not to live by your past. You're to live in the present and march to the future. You're not to live in the past. You're to march on. Amen. Whereby are given unto us exceeding, exceeding, great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You escaped it by these precious promises and you're partakers of that divine nature. Amen. These are the promises of the saints. These are what's promised to God's children. I, I've experienced these. So have you. That's why you're not running around whoring around right now. That's why you're not drinking a bunch of booze and popping a bunch of pills and taking drugs and living in the world, right? That's why you didn't shoot yourself in the head. Amen! Right? That's why you didn't drink yourself stupid last night, rot your liver out and die. That's why you didn't get some venereal disease and drop dead. Amen! That's the grace of God. That's the promise of God. And beside this, giving all diligence. Remember what we said that word means, right? You're doing it on purpose. Focused. Giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue. You're to add to your faith, virtue. It's part of this Christian life. You're to work that out. You know, that word virtue is seven times. And the first time it is said, it is said of going out of Christ. Do you know that? That word is seven times in the King James Bible. And the first time it's ever used, the first mention, where does it come from? Christ. How about that? It doesn't come from the law. It comes from Christ. That's where it comes from. Virtue comes from Jesus. You want more virtue? Get closer to Jesus. How do I get closer to Jesus? Right here. It ain't rocket science. If it was, I wouldn't be able to figure it out. It's right here. You want to get, how do I get, how do I look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith? You look in the book, you ain't looking up into heaven. Remember he said, don't do that. <laughs> Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? No, you're to gaze at this. This is how I looked unto Jesus. This is how I do that. Very simply. No, I need a more complex mystical way to do it. Yeah, because the way of the plain path of duty is too hard, right? You don't want to do that. You want something miraculous and mystical. That's why these people are chasing all this mystical garbage today. They end up playing with devils is all they do. All you got to do, if you, you want to look to Christ, he's right here. That's what he said. <laughs> right here. How do I look unto Jesus? Right here is how I do it. Right here in this book, right here. It's got everything you need. That's how you do it. Virtuous women are trained, though. They are trained by example. Just as good man, just as a good man is, is a justified man, that's what makes him good. He must be trained. He must grow in grace. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You train them. And by the way, that word comes back true. So I don't know. I've seen kids trained and sometimes they don't turn out. Well, their life ain't over yet, is it? You don't know the end of that. Amen. Like I said, we plow in hope. We believe God. We don't believe in lost causes. Amen. I don't believe in lost causes. 
If I didn't believe God's power couldn't save anybody, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the Pope in Rome. I believe God can save him. Oh, they're past being saved. How do you know? <laughs> Somebody probably thought that about you too. Right? I don't know about that one. Well, you don't have to know about that one. You've got to believe God. God can save anybody. Amen. He is well able to. And by the way, he saves the guttermost sometimes just to show his glory. That's why he saved the Apostle Paul. Man, he was out murdering Christians. He says, I'm going to save that man. Right? I'm going to save that man, and he's going to be a spectacle to the entire world. Maybe God's going to save one of those people to be a spectacle to the entire world. Wouldn't that be something? But I believe it. I believe God's power can do it. I just, I, I haven't been educated out of that. I never got a degree in Bible where they told me, well, no, the Greek word says this and means that you're, it's impossible or whatever. Like, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe there's anybody impossible that God can't reach them. Right? I hope you don't either. God could take any life in this room and you might have a really terrible past. It doesn't matter. God can make your future great. Amen. He's done that for many of us. 21 years ago, going on 22 years ago, he saved my soul. I was rotten as hell, living in sin, doing all kinds of wicked things. You name it. But what did he do? He said, I'm going to save this man, and I'm going to use him. Amen. <laughs> Just like he did with you, right? I'm going to make somebody that everything they touch, they ruin. I'm going, to, I'm going to make them a child of the king and make their life right. So they're a blessing to others. Isn't that what he did with you? I mean, everything you touch, you come from the life that we've had in the world. You young people, you rejoice that God keeps you. And you focus on that, that God wants to keep you virtuous. And if you failed in any way, God is forgiving. Amen? Don't hold on to that. You just let God have that. He washes it all away. Amen? I know it. I know it. I couldn't stand before you if he hadn't washed it away. But I can because he did. That's the grace of God. Amen? So the, the, there's no excuse for anyone in this room to say, well, I, I couldn't be that virtuous woman because of this. Well, that's just a petty excuse. You can be because God said it. And he called you into virtue. So if he called you into virtue, then you can be. So in other words, you've got work to do and you don't get to use excuses. God's not looking for your excuses. He's looking for your obedience. There's enough people that give God plenty of excuses. Why don't you just give him your obedience? That's called surrender. And don't be qualifying your surrender by, by this, uh, if my husband's perfect, if this is this, because that ain't never going to happen. Your husband ain't never going to be perfect. This is Shattered Dreams Ministries. I just shattered it for you. He ain't never going to be perfect. On this side, anyway. He will be, but not on this side. Amen. But your husband not being perfect is no excuse for you not to strive to be all that God wants you to be. Amen. To use excuses of why you can't be obedient to God. 
Again, God's not looking for excuses. He's looking for obedience. He wants his people to obey him. You know what? God just wants you to simply believe him. All trials come down to the simple, this simple thing. Every single one of them come down. They are trials of what? What are, they, what are you being tried? What are they trials of? Faith. That's right. And God just says, I, in this trial, what do you want? God, God will tell you, I want you to believe me. You have to believe me. You can't just give up and want to bounce out and get it when things don't go your way. It's grow-up time. You don't get to run away. Come on, preacher. Amen. No, you stand and fight. You stand and you do what's right. You don't run away. I'm so sick and tired of seeing people run away. You can't run away from yourself. You might as well let God work on your heart and fix it. And I'm talking to saved people. I don't, I'm not talking to lost people. I'm saying saved. We could try to run, but it ain't going to do us no good. You got to let God work on our hearts. Amen? Next. By the way, let me say this to you. How, you. how you and I train our children matters. It matters that you train young men to be godly men and young ladies to be godly, virtuous women. It matters. God cares. So then pay attention to detail. Because it matters to God. Next, we see the virtuous woman comes from the Lord. Marriage is from heaven. Marriage is from God Almighty. He instituted it and he blesses it. It must never be forgotten that no matter what the state says or no matter what the sodomites say, the trannies say, or anyone else says, marriage is of the Lord. He alone owns the institute of marriage. Amen. Proverbs 18, 22, look what the scriptures say. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something that I, I really don't like. I, I, I really, it, it bothers me a lot. I don't like it. I don't like men talking down about their wives. Complaining about what God's given them. Complaining about their wife. The, the Bible says that God gave you a wife. Right? You shouldn't complain about her. He can take her away. Yeah, Amen. That's right. Just, yeah, God is able to shut your mouth. That's right. Don't, don't complain about your wife. Why don't you, will you pray? Why don't you pray for her? I wonder how much you prayed for instead of complain. Huh. I don't, be, for, for a few reasons, I, number one, I think it's disrespectful. Number two, to God. Because he gave you the gift. It's ungrateful. It just pours out of your mouth in gratefulness. That, that's the first thing. Uh, number two, it's disrespectful to her. It's not, it's not, and number three, it makes you look like a horrible manager. Because if your wife is that bad, then you don't know what you're doing either. So why don't you shut up and learn? Because you ain't very good at what you do. If your wife is that bad, then I wouldn't talk about it. I'd be like, I'm going to fix this. And I always start, when, when I try to, if there's something with my wife, that needs to be fixed or some situation that is there, I, it's usually I start with me. As a pastor, if there's something in the church, I usually start with me. I'm like, okay, what do I do? How do I need to handle this? Like, what do I need to do? It's not, oh man, I'm ready to just lay the hammer down. I, I really don't like, I, that's not really, I don't like doing that. Because, you know, a, man, a worldly man taught me a long time ago um, that 
that if you're managing people, and this is a world, but, but it's a principle in the scriptures, but if you're managing people and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, wife and family, it, it starts with you. So if you complain about your people to your, you know, to, to, to somebody else, or you complain about your wife, you better look at you. That's, that's what I would do. That's what I do personally. I learned that from him a long time ago, and it was a good principle. It's biblical, right? The husband, he's, he needs to look at him. I, I just, I don't know. I, you need to be careful. God can take those children. God can take that, that wife. I, I wouldn't complain about them. I would ask God to help you. Proverbs 19, 14. Houses, house and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. To, who can find a virtuous woman? She's from the Lord. God has to give you one. Amen. Next, the virtuous woman is a priceless treasure. You will notice that with the modest of a true, uh, with modesty of a true woman, Solomon's mother taught him these things in private. You get that? To her son, not to a public audience of people. Solomon is teaching, or uh, she is teaching, the Bathsheba is teaching this to him in private. He, she raised him like this. Now, God used it for Solomon to repeat, and what did Solomon do? He repeated it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the whole world. Now, Mother, that's how you're known. That's the work that you do. It's, the sa- it's no different. It's the same thing. They don't hear your voice out in the streets. They don't hear your voice and you being in the gates. They see the fruit of your labors through your husband and through your children. And it goes on and they look at it and they watch it and they listen to it. How many of those preachers, uh, godly preachers from the past that were used of God and they credit it not to their father. They credit it to what they learned from their mother. Almost all of them. They credit what they've learned from their mom. What their mother taught them. Right? You know, Spurgeon's, it's interesting. Uh, let's take Charles Spurgeon's uh, situation. Charles Spurgeon, well-known. Millions of people heard him all over the world, even at that time. Not through, you know, audio, but through sermons, and they, they read his sermons and everything. And it went all over the, the world. You know, he sold his sermons for like a penny or something like that to support all the orphanages and everything that he had. Because he took the kids. There was a, in England, there were homeless children everywhere on the streets and he was like, well, we got to do something about this. So he started a boy's home. So he started a girl's home. So he started, he, and, he, and he had all those children and he got them off the streets and he fed them and they clothed them. And they, you know, he told miraculous stories about George, the same that, um, what's his name? Who was the other guy over there? Mueller. Mueller, thank you. George Mueller, same thing, how God provided miraculously. Anyway, but let's talk about Spurgeon's wife. You know, she had twins. It was the only children she could have. She had a terrible, some terrible female problems that they didn't discuss, but, uh, but they said that she did. She had terrible surgeries, and she was bedridden in her home for, I think it was like 12 years, but I can't remember the exact uh, time it was. 
she stayed home and you know she wasn't publicly known by everybody or she couldn't even attend her husband's sermons could you imagine that she couldn't even go there and they didn't have they couldn't watch from zoom right they couldn't watch from facebook or that that or any of those things they're sitting at you know she's at home and she's just trusting the lord and she's bedridden and, and what did she do she spent her time training her young boys you might think their daddy trained them to be pastors they both became pastors he didn't <laughs> most of their education from that came from their mother most of the special time that she took in care of them, it, it came from her. She did it. And they went on to serve the Lord. And uh, one was a pastor. Uh, they, they both were. They were pastors in different areas. But they went on to serve the Lord. But you know what? No one ever knew her, you know, out there like that. Like she wasn't uh, broadly known by everybody from that. But she was through her children and through her godly uh, ministry to her husband. She loved her husband. She was faithful to him and loved him cared for him. She told stories about how he would go, uh, she told it after he died, but how he'd go through depression and he would sit in his office and he was sitting in his office room and he was weeping and he cried so hard that he, he literally fell out of the chair and she would pick him up off the floor and put him in his chair. She loved him. She cared for him. That's, she served him. And God used it. Do you think that man without that, he wrote, when he would have to leave and go to Mentone and he would hate it, but she was sick and bedridden, but he had to get away because of his mind was just so, because of his sickness and everything that he had, that he had to get away. He would go to Mentone and when he would go to Mentone, she couldn't go with him. So he would write, he would write her every day. He would write her a letter every day and send it to her. And she would write him back every day. And he desperately wanted her to be there and the, the the it was he needed a break from a busy ministry and everything that was going on but he also he wanted her there and he was torn that he couldn't that she couldn't leave the house that she couldn't do that but he had to he had to get it was the also the air in london was very bad was especially at that time too and it was very bad and he was very sick so he had to get out of the city sometimes and go to like that mountainous regions and everything where he where he could breathe, you know, he could, because that was affecting his depression. That would make it even worse. So, because a lot of that is physically brought on to it. it. It affects you from some physical things. But anyway, so she, but she would write him every day faithfully. He would write her every day faithfully, right? And then finally, at the end of her life, or at the end of his life, not her life, the end of his life, she was able to go with him to Mentone. She was able to go for like, I think it was a couple weeks or a month or something like that, and spend that last time with him before he died. But she was with him. She was faithful. She was a virtuous woman, and she cared for her husband, and she cared for her children. She didn't, she didn't have a speaking tour. She wasn't spe preaching ladies' meetings. Right? What was she doing? What God told what God called her to do. To be a virtuous wife. Right? The virtuous woman is a priceless treasure. Solomon is reciting what his mother had taught him for the whole world to see. And though we will speak of this later, this is how a woman is heard very loudly. That's how you're you are heard. That's what the world will hear. Mothers are known by their children. If you train them right, they get saved and walk in the fear of the Lord. You'll be praised in the gates. You will not be in the gates because it's not your place to be there. 
You will not be the public speaker. It's not your place. You'll be praised in the gates through your works. How many women have traded in their priceless worth to be a, a man? And how many have been tricked into seeking worldly positions in a place and left the kingdom and sphere God gave them to manage to become something foreign to God's design? And how popular is it today? And how much is it pushed? It is a God-hating design is what it is. You see, this takes patience, though, lady, to believe God that one day you will see the fruit of your labors. It takes patience. But you want to see it all right away. And that's not how it works. It's like a farmer. You don't see it right away. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman for a price is far above rubies? You see, six times the word rubies is used in the King James Bible. Job 28.18. And look what it talks about. Above rubies, the price. It links wisdom with rubies and virtue. Look at this. Uh, Job 28.18. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. A wise woman will take heed to the sphere God has given her and to perfect it. She will make full proof of her ministry to her husband and to her children with patient sowing. You will reap if you faint not. Proverbs 3.15 says she is more precious than rubies. And all things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. It's talking about wisdom, and it always references wisdom as a woman. That's why you, you get the picture that Solomon starts out in the Proverbs, and he's building up, and he's teaching about the pricelessness of wisdom, how wisdom is priceless. And then he, he leads that into, and he talks about the foolish woman and all these other women. Then he talks about the virtuous woman. That she is, her price is far above rubies. Proverbs 8, 11, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Proverbs 20, 15, There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. She is invaluable. Her, her price is far above rubies. No quantity of precious stones can be equal to her worth. She, a virtuous woman, is a picture of Christ's bride. The church, showing the value Christ, her, her husband, puts upon her. The esteem that she is had in by him, who reckons her as his portion and inheritance, as preferable to the purest gold and choicest silver as his peculiar treasure, as his jewels, and more valuable than the most precious stones. This appears by his undertaking for her. This is a picture. She is a picture of the church. That's what a woman is. A godly, virtuous woman is a picture of the Lord's church and a man's picture of how he is to care for her, how Christ cares for his church, how you're to love your wife. Your duty to love your wife. Your wife's duty to follow her Lord. The price he has paid for her is far above rubies. She is bought with a price, but not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The ransom price paid for her is himself, who is more precious than rubies and all things that can be desired. 
That's how. That's what marriage is supposed to be a picture of. That's what. That's what a virtuous wife is a picture of. Who can find a virtuous woman? One says it this way: Were good women scarce then, and are they rare now? Devoted women, unselfish women, domesticated women are not too easily discovered. Where a woman's heart is true and her hands are gentle, where her voice is kind and her eyes far-seeing, where she lives not to herself nor to the world, but to the little circle whose happiness she makes, or to the God who has chosen her lot, there is the virtuous woman of whom the wise man spoke. Nothing so damps the ardor and joy of a man or his children as an incompetent, faulty woman at the head. And nothing can be a greater source of strength than the woman who gives an impulse to all that is good and right and checks the evil by a significant look or a softly spoken word. Good women are wanted everywhere. The worth of a woman far above rubies. Let a man ask himself what would be the worth to his heart to his home, to his children, to society of such a woman as is described here. The ideal woman of God's word, the woman that every woman should be if she only feared God, loved his word, imbibed his spirit, and molded her character upon his most blessed teachings. Consider the worth of such a woman as a daughter. This is the first relationship in life a woman is called to fulfill. Who can estimate her worth to her parents or to her brothers and sisters? She is not willful, headstrong, passionate, selfish, but humble. And when it means passion, it means not led by passions. Do not live your life by passions. Live it by obedience to God. If you live by passions, you'll destroy everything around you. You will demolish your marriage. You will demolish your friendships, your church, and everything around. If you live by passions, we live by truth. We live by faith. We do not live by passion. Amen. We live by faith. We follow God. We obey His word. She is not willful, headstrong, passionate, selfish, but humble, respectful, dutiful, affectionate. The foundation of true womanly worth is piety, the fear and love of God. You should want for your children more than any talents, more than any beauty, more than anything else. You should want them to fear God and to give Him glory. That's what you should want more than anything. Not their earthly success, not anything else, but the fear of God. Because if they have the fear of God, God will work everything else out. A young person that fears God will be able to stand in this wicked world and be spotless and not be tainted by it because they fear God. Amen. This is the whole duty of man, isn't it? To fear God and to give Him glory. Without true religion, the character has no basis. Where that is found, we may expect all virtues to flourish into beauty. Without true religion, that pure religion, undefiled, right? People think religion is a bad word. It's not a bad word. On, it's a Bible word. Right? Amen. right? Yes, if it's it vain religion, it's a problem. That's but if it's right. true religion, yep. pure religion, undefiled, amen? amen. So we got to follow the book. It's right there. That's it says right. it. That's what you want, right? Pure, true, faithful religion, undefiled. Amen. Amen. That's like those old preachers used to tell them, why don't you get some religion? They would yell, they would say that. Why don't you get some religion? 
because they weren't walking with God. And they told them, you better get some religion, man. What's wrong with you? Name in the name of Christ and not living for God. That's right. It is a dirty word today, but it ain't. If you understand what the scriptures Amen. say, right? We believe God. We believe this book. You believe the authority of this book or not. Amen. So it comes down to, well, I'm not preaching religion. Really, I am. Amen. I am. You ain't. Why aren't you? It's right here. It's in the word. You better preach it. I don't believe in organized religion. What do you believe in? Unorganized? <laughs> I don't believe in Roman Catholicism. Right. I believe in biblical Christianity, true religion, pure religion. That's right. right. I don't believe in Roman Catholicism. When people say organized religion, what they mean is Roman Catholicism and the daughters of Rome. That's right. So pick one, anyone. Pick a card, any card, right? They're all the same. That's right. This is pure religion. Amen. So, and it's organized by God. That's right. He organized it. Right? Not the world, not the Pope. Right. We don't we don't follow their organized. And it's not organized, it's chaos. That's right. It's see, they get to steal all the names and we're just supposed to like like the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter day Saints. That's a great name. Yeah. What's wrong with it? Nothing. They just took it and used yeah. it. Right. But there ain't nothing wrong with it. We are the Church of Jesus Christ. And we are the Latter day Saints, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> That's who we are. They just right. stole it. Right. We are Jehovah's Witnesses, that's right. Why aren't we? I am. I'm a witness for Jehovah. The wonderful works of God. We're to witness the wonderful works of God to men. We are an assembly of God. We are an assembly of God, that's right. Amen. See, they don't they, they just steal everything. That's how crafty Satan is. The Bible said there'd be false apostles that would rise and do those things, right? He warned us of that. The scriptures tell us. Deceitful workers. The worth of such a woman is a wife now. We talked about the daughter. How about the wife? Here's an elaborate description of her house. I like this word he uses. Housewifely. <laughs> housewifely. Care and prudence. And industry and economy. And the blessed effects of all this on the happiness of her husband's heart and home. And on his character, reputation and prosperity. Oh, that young men would look for piety in their wives. Nothing like that to govern their tongues and to sweeten their tempers, and to make them amiable, pure, and true. The work of a woman, home is her sphere, and her work is to make home happy, holy and happy. Some women think their work is to reform and regenerate the world. So it is, but the proper sphere for their reforming work is not in the pub publicity of the world, but in the privacy of the home. You know, the, you hear these, these sayings that are out there, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Well, Satan knew the effects that a mother in the home has on children. And you, all you need to do is go from World War, the World War II, I think it was, or whatever, whichever, was it two? World War II to now, and then look at the structure of the family homes in the United States of America, right? And, and you look at the difference when mom was gone and men were sent off to war. Look at, what was that for? Well, it was of the devil. <laughs> right? To destroy men and destroy women and raise up children without either. And what happened? The child left himself, bringing his mother to shame. 
Right, and re- you're right, exactly. And remember what it says. It says, bring it the mother to shame. It's not even talking about the father. Why? Because everybody's going to blame the mom. Why? Because the mother is who raises them in that sense. The father oversees that as a father, yes, and he is part of that. He's a major part of that. But the mother is the one that brings them up. Uh, let me say this to you, as uh, you wives too, uh, to be careful. Don't try to make your, your husband a mother. Like, don't expect your husband to be a mom. He's not. It's not his duty. Right? Neither should you expect, as husbands, expect your wife to be a dad. Right? Don't expect your wife to be a man. Don't make her try to be a man. Be a, be a father be a husband and be a father and be a leader. Don't, don't confuse the roles and confuse children, right? I'm not saying we don't help each other out, right? I wasn't going to do dishes until I saw the Bible, like a man wipe the dish. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> there ain't no way around that. I got five daughters. I'm glad it didn't say nothing about me changing a diaper. It didn't. I didn't see it in there. Got out of that one. I still do it sometimes. But, <laughs> but I, I, the man wipe of the dish. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. So once in a while I wipe a dish. but I don't have to, right? My, my, cho- my wife doesn't expect me to do it or anything like that. But sometimes I want to help. Right? Especially when there's like 800 of us in the house. That's a lot of dishes, man. I just wipe mine when I take it out of the cabinet. You know, if you just, that's, that'll, that'll work. Hey, you can take that. That's not a fanciful interpretation. That's a real. All right. Anyway, but, but I don't mean that we don't help each other out, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm just, I, we're not so rigid that if somebody needs our help, we're not going to help. Right. You t- by the way, part of teaching our children is, is we do things that are not required of us at times because we love one another. Do right. you understand? Like, that's charity. That's giving. That's love. It's kindness. You know, especially if I ain't got nothing to do but just sit there, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, I always have something to do. But, but, <laughs> but I, you know what I mean? If any of us, like, oh, I'm not going to sit there and watch everybody else do all the work and I can't help, right? You know, there's, there's a time for that, you know, I... I, sometimes I do that. I eat and I go take a nap on my chair. That's good. <laughs> but, but not all the time, right? Sometimes I'm like, I think I better get up and help do something. You know, especially if they've been cooking all day and doing all these special things. It's like, okay, I think I'll get up and help out a little bit. That's not, there's not, I'm not talking about doing that. It's okay to do those things. It's, you know, to be there for one another is important. But I'm saying don't change the work. The work of a woman, home is her sphere. Her work is to make the home what God wants it to be. Listen to this. So it is the proper sphere for their reforming work is not the publicities of the world, but in the privacy of the home, in their little children's nurseries, and by the side of the domestic hearth. That's the, that's the work. You need to, as ladies, and, and by the way, we are just, this is just opening up. We're not even, we're, we're almost done here. Um, the Bible, we'll, we'll close with this. She is worth more than precious jewels because she cannot be purchased with money. Beauty can be bought, but virtue cannot. You cannot buy a holy wife. Right? You, you can't. 
It's God that makes them that way. And it's you that will nurture that in them as a husband as well. She is worth more than precious jewels because of how valuable her faithful labor is. It is possible to buy a housekeeper, but it is not possible to buy a woman who is dedicated to a man and his children from her heart and who is committed to do them good all the days of her life in every way possible. Yeah, sure, you can hire somebody to clean your house for you. They can... You can... You can hire a whore to fulfill lustful desires. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not being, I'm not being crude, I'm being real. But you can't buy the love of a woman. You can't buy what God has given you in a wife. <laughs> no amount of money could give you that. That's why take heed to how you handle that heart. Don't bruise it and abuse it and use it and take advantage of them and be dishonest and distrustworthy and, and unkind and cruel and all those things because you damage something that God has given you. You can't buy that. You can't buy love with, those, with money like that. You can't. It won't do that. What God has brought together, it's, it's a gift from God. You, you can't get that anywhere else. You, you can have somebody clean and cook and do all those. That's not a wife. A wife does all those things, yes. But the heart, the heart is what God is talking about. In Proverbs 31, he's talking about that heart. He's talking about that virtuous woman. It is lived out in her heart. And we'll talk about that uh, probably uh, next week here. Yeah, verse 11, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. The heart, right? Amen. A lot to think about. Such a woman, like we said, the wise man will seek after. In sickness and in health and poverty and wealth, a woman like that will stay with you. Mostly poverty, not a whole lot of wealth. But. <laughs> but the wise woman will seek after, or the wise man, excuse me, will seek after that. Such a woman only comes from the Lord like we covered. The man who wants such a woman must walk with God and please God and patiently seek her from his loving hand. That's, that's it. If you, wanna, if you would have that kind of a wife, you better pray for her. Pray for, if you're married to one, you better pray for her to be that lady. And help, but if you're not married and you're looking for one, you better pray that God brings you that one and pray very specifically about those things. That God would do that.